Why do you think they invaded back then? Why does any advanced civilization seek to destroy a less advanced one? Because the land is strategically valuable, because there are resources that can be cultivated and exploited, but most of all, simply because they can. You have experienced much the same on your own world. There are humans for whom the words never again carry special meaning, as they do for us. Of course it is. For the simple reason that no one else would ever build a place like this. Humans share one unique quality. They build communities. If the Narns or the Centauri or any other race built a station like this, it would be used only by their own people. But everywhere humans go, they create communities out of diverse and sometimes hostile populations. It is a great gift and a terrible responsibility. One that cannot be abandoned. A reporter visits Babylon 5 and gets trapped in an escalating war. We are prepared to use a deadly force. On an all new... Open fire. Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. there in podcast land welcome to grade 17 a babylon 5 podcast we are part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices and we are a group of newbies who are here to babylon 5 for the first time and then a bunch of first ones who have watched it way too many times i'm scott and with me is emily blake andrew justin jesse and kevin and you can tell it's the winter time still when half of our folks are out sick or with like vacations and stuff so we will get the full crew back sooner or later we promise we hope but tonight we're here to talk about and now for a word which i'm excited to hear from the newbies on but before we get started on that please be sure to click all the links down below we've got our twitter instagram facebook our patreon account if you want to help the show grow we also have merch over at redbubble if you're listening to the audio version we have a youtube account and it's over on the link below. And then if you're listening on or watching on YouTube, we have the audio account as well, which is listed below too. Check out all of the things and click all the buttons, except for the down arrow. Don't click that one. Click all the other buttons, just not that one. Before we get started on first impressions, I believe Jesse has a synopsis for us. I did the synopsis for and now for a word, or as I like to call it, Franklin needs a therapist. An ISN reporter spends 36 hours on B-5. As the reporter's ship waits to dock at B-5, a Narn ship confronts a Centauri ship, and the Narn ship destroys the Centauri ship. 
Londo plays the victim as usual, but we come to find out the Centauri ship was carrying mass weapons of mass destruction. Okay, now let's get into first impressions. And since <laughs> Jesse did the synopsis, let's go to Justin first. First impressions. When I first started watching the episode, I really didn't think I was going to enjoy it that much, but I ended up liking it a lot better than I thought I was going to. Um, it kind of picked up a lot. I enjoyed the... Um, I was actually enthralled with uh, the interactions of the council and everything like that and the back and forth between uh, Jakar and Londo and just kind of how the whole thing kind of got wrapped up. And you kind of got to see a little bit of the day in the life of things around the station. Uh, reminds me of one of my favorite Battlestar Galactica episodes, actually. But overall, really enjoyed it. And it gave me a lot of what I've been looking for is the kind of a more of a glimpse into the cost and intensity of the conflict. So overall, I give it a, about a thumbs up and a half. A thumbs up and a half. Nice. Andrew, first impressions. Yeah, so... Like Justin, I thought I was also going to hate this episode just because of how different it was. Like, it's all structured like it's one giant news broadcast. Uh, uh, but once uh, once I got further into it and I started getting used to it and I started to appreciate it for what it was, uh, kind of getting everyone's individual perspectives on uh, the Narn Centauri War. Emily, first impressions. Um, This episode made me so angry. Um, I almost didn't make it through I could not stand her. I actually was hoping she would get coshed by it before the end of it. I was just like, seriously, Kosh, if you're going to take someone out, please let it be her. And he did it. And so I was vastly disappointed. And Jesse, first impressions. Wasn't the biggest fan of the layout. I, I think it took me about halfway through it to get really used to the news layout. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting concept, but I'm with Emily. I was not a huge fan of the reporter. Franklin was really strange in this episode. Like he started out a little odd and then got worse, like PTSD. And I mean, he just seemed very angry um, throughout the whole, the whole episode. Other than that, I mean, I, I enjoyed it had most of the characters. I like, I like when we get to see both Londo and Jakar in the episodes. It's, you know, it's nice to see everybody. Okay, we'll move over to our first ones now. Kevin, first impressions. This isn't a particular favorite of mine, but I I remembered um, incorrectly that I I dislike this episode. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it that far, but it just wasn't my my preferred format. I the departure is is okay once, I, it, but uh, it it's not in a not in a format that I would particularly care for for uh, for the show in particular, but. Um, I did think that the view of the news, if you want to call it that, on on Earth was an interesting uh, perspective to have that we had not had before, and particularly on the Narn and Centauri uh, conflict uh, with this. Found that interesting. I I do I do like the actress that plays Cynthia Torkman. Her name is Kim Zimmer. I remember her being on a couple episodes of a couple of shows I've watched, mm -hmm. including MacGyver. But um, but yes, I I would agree that in this show her character was frustrating. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I I think it was I think it was done well by her. That was certainly the way it was intended. But uh, I'm 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 looking forward to other episodes this season coming up. But this wasn't one in particular that I was like. So first off, you know, 
I can't wait for the fan reactions, especially after what they felt about our cast on the podcast when they said Ivanova. <laughs> yeah. Because the reporter in CNC called her Ivanova. So damn it, it was in the show. It right. took us a se- it took us a season and a half to get there. <laughs> our newbies were just mispronouncing it the same way as they did it in an episode they hadn't seen yet. So we are defending our newbies who mispronounced it because the propagandist mispronounced it too. <laughs> Absolutely. That um, says a lot. what I'm going with, Scott. Says a lot. But, yes. you know, I will say on, on its surface, I, I get where people aren't a fan of this episode. And I was not at first either. But the more I have rewatched it over the years and really kind of delved into it, especially thinking current context with, you know, media as performance art almost, media as entertainment. I mean, even looking at, I believe it's, Certain news channels have a FEC or FCC file and they say they're entertainment, not news. And you look at some of that and you really look at the way this is done. And JMS himself commented on there being this thing in theater training about, you know, never using the word I, but saying things about yourself and really watching the way this is done and how it does get to that subversiveness and really tells a lot about the current state of Earth within the season and within the series overall. So I think this episode really tells you more, a lot deeper, both about Earth, but also a lot of these characters than what you get from it. If you're just, you know, casually watching and say, oh, they're they're doing the, you know, through the reporter's lens episode. There's there's a lot more to it. And I really do appreciate this episode the more I have watched it. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that some people didn't like the episode. I get the format thing, although I do enjoy it. It's something different when you've watched now 36 episodes of this thing changing the format every now and then is not a bad thing for me but this moves the plot along so much in one episode it's it's not like a you know a chrysalis or a signs importance but it's pretty damn close we have much more uh mention of the narn centauri war which hasn't been talked about too much lately and it turns into a firefight right outside the station as Blake mentioned, we hear a lot about what's going on Earth, and that has a lot of undertones that I think you guys have actually been noticing already, but now it's kind of like out in the forefront. The Ministry of Information and uh, making sure that everyone has the right information, and they mention Mars and say that the extremists were uh, attacking the majority who are Earth-friendly, and I mean, there's so much going on here. I love this episode for that. And I think everyone gets to play. I love that Jesse pointed out that Franklin needs help because he does. (laughs) And every time I have said for now 36 episodes, we're going to throw you out the airlock in the back of my head. I've been thinking Franklin wouldn't like that, but I couldn't say that until now. Now I can say it. Franklin would not like me saying that. So yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you all about the episode. It's definitely one that has a lot of undertones. And for those who aren't big fans of us talking, how uh, relating the show to 2023, this probably isn't the episode for you because, well, yeah. Let's go to Justin. Let's start talking about the episode. Basically, the whole episode's about propaganda from beginning to end. In the way that the show's constructed and talking about Earth and how Earth presents things and then how both the Narn, Centauri and Mabari are all presenting different sides of different issues. And so that's kind of if you're not a person who likes political propaganda, this definitely also wasn't an episode for you. Um, I just want to talk about Earth for a second, because that's kind of what kind of caught me going early on 
where you can see the effects of the Clark administration and what he's trying to do, especially not only with the uh, with the Ministry of Public Information, but with the Office of Public Morale. Let's try and make everybody happy, guys. And you can also see that, you know, because of how I guess the media is probably spinning things on Earth, B5 and the objective of B5 is becoming increasingly and increasingly unpopular, probably as because... You know, the people are becoming more Earth centric. Clark's very popular because he's doing, you know, he's doing more for, you know, Earth first and everything like that. So, you know, you see the the uh, a lot of Earth, a lot of what's going on with the Earth propaganda machine. And that's kind of what kind of caught my interest from the very beginning. And then I can save my comments about the other factions as we get talking later in the episode. But I just, yeah, I agree with Scott that, you know, what's going on in Earth was laid out right there at the very beginning. And it's not looking good. Jesse. I learned a new word today. Um, I had never heard jingoism. Oh, really? Like 41 years. Yeah, I was like, he said it. So the first time I watched it, <clears throat> I watched it twice today. Uh, the first time I watched it, I was like, he said it. And I was like, mm, I just kind of moved past it. And then the second time I was like, I'm going to look that up because I don't feel like that's a made up word. So that was my takeaway from the episode today. Like, before I say anything else, let's comment on Jesse's watching the episodes multiple times now. <laughs> let's talk about season one, Jesse, to season two, Jesse. <laughs> no, this is the first. I actually started, um, restarted watching the whole series again. I just got past the, the first the first episode after the pilot, so I haven't. I'm not there yet. But the fact that I'm doing that again is, I mean, it speaks volumes. Yeah, and to what Justin was just talking about, you know, you draw these parallels, and Scott said it. This is not the episode. If you do not like us drawing parallels to current events, this is not going to be the episode of our podcast. You're going to like. Sorry, but when you think about U.S. foreign aid, for example, especially thinking about the Ukraine right now. I mean, how many times do we hear these questions coming up of, we can send all this money to Ukraine and do all this for Ukraine, but why can't we fix X problem here? And and I want to look at some of these people like, well, you didn't do anything to fix the problem before the Ukraine was a thing. So why are you all of a sudden saying we can't fix it because of Ukraine? You know, and you see that come up with multiple issues. It's, you know, we can't have, you know, social security issues, but yet we have money for Ukraine. We have all these issues here at home, but oh, we're sending all the money to Ukraine. It's kind of that same thing you see in this episode of, is the expense of Babylon 5 really worth it when we can do all this to take care of Earthers at home type thing? And, you know, there's so many parallels when you think about the way that news and information is presented to people within their own silos and within their own little thought bubbles these days. This episode is so, so relevant. Emily? Since, like, brought up about the worth of Babylon 5, I actually thought it was really interesting because... Um, the journalist, she seemed very anti-B5. Um, what was his name? Quantrell, the senator. He he seemed like he was sitting on the fence and was going to fall whichever way the wind blew, like, and kind of hedging my bets here. But in the previous, epi- like, a few episodes ago, Gropos, B5 was strategic and necessary. So it's really interesting how, oh, when we want to get into other people's shit, it's worthwhile. But, you know, when we want to talk about our own stuff, then we're going to make this the bad guy in the situation. And I found that um, very interesting, to say the least. Like, you're going to talk about the senator? I was, because you've got the senator with his commentary kind of hedging his bets there. And I think they do that through the whole thing, because they present this broadcast where they show all these problems with B5, right? They show... 
the conflict. They kind of raise all these little questions about, is it worth it? Is it this? Is it that? But you have that, what is it that almost that last line of, oh, we would be remiss if we said this was normal. You know, we've done already told this narrative, but oh, we throw that little disclaimer line at the end that we can point to later to say, see, that was us being fair. We said it's not normal. You know, <laughs> you, know you have this like throwaway line of of that versus what, 40 minutes of let's just trash the thing. To the control thing, I read it differently. I read it as he wants it shut down throughout the entire episode. And the reason is, is because he is doing basically what Blake just said, letting people watch what he already knows is going to be a biased newscast and let them draw the conclusions themselves first. If he comes out immediately and says, let's shut it down. It's not worth it. We're not, we're wasting money. We could kick the Minbari's ass now anyway. If he said all that right off the front end, then he's the one that people are watching. He doesn't want that. He wants them to watch the newscast. And we know that he already knows what the newscast is going to be about because later on in the same interview, he says, we're just happy that you got out because we need all the great journalists we have. So he knew what this was about. So his plan was exactly what you saw, in my opinion, and that is let people make their own decision on what it is based on the bias reporting they're getting. And then at the very end, yeah, now you've seen it. Doesn't it seem like it's pretty much a big problem? Isn't it something that we really shouldn't deal with? He absolutely is not on the fence, in my opinion. He is absolutely trying, much like Justin said, everything in this episode's propaganda. He is using propaganda as a tool and doing it well as a senator. And I very much agree that he is against Babylon 5, but it seemed like he was hedging his bets in case public opinion would change. And then he's not on record being all like, abandon it. But it was the same interview, though. That's that's the thing that I, I don't I don't agree with, just because, yes, it's it's interspersed throughout the show, but it's the same interview he gave. They're just popping it in. Yeah. But Kevin, what do you got? I think the best illustration in this uh, in this episode of how slanted it was is Delenn's uncomfortableness with the whole endeavor. You know, she's she's asked a an extremely pointed question, um, which, you know, many would see as unfair when you know the viewers would have almost no context and would probably have a lot of racist views towards her to begin with based on uh, on the previous war and you could just see how incredibly uncomfortable she was and it grew during her interview to the point where she's like i want to stop whereas somebody like londo seems like he's in his element uh when he's when he's being interviewed and I, I don't think there's any better illustration of the, the slant as those two things together. I'm glad you brought the Delenn thing, too. Actually, it was brought up in the Usenets back in the day, so I wanted to quote JMS real quick. Somebody had talked about Delenn and her encounter with the interviewer, and uh, he said, your analysis, and he was referring to the guy who asked the question, your analysis of Delenn is dead on. I don't quite think she real, really understood what was required of her and what would happen. I think she believed it would be go somewhat other than it has, which has given her pause and she's rattled alone in realizing the magnitude of what is before her and her choice to undergo the chrysalis. So she thought she would be this defining figure and that she would bring the the species together. And now she's realizing she is the exact opposite for some people, because as much as that reporter, that was not a journalistic thing to do, she's not wrong. A lot of people would look at Delenn and say, you were stealing the face of the people you killed. 
So Jesse, we got, I didn't like it. <laughs> I just, I didn't, it made me uncomfortable. Like, and, and I know the last couple episodes we've talked, I've, I've specifically mentioned how she's been treated and how, like, it just feels like people are picking on her. And I mean, what you just said, it makes sense. Yes. It's not wrong. She could have turned it around on them and been like how many Mibari were killed. Um, but it just, she's so uncomfortable. And again, I think it goes back and I've said it again or before is, is it goes back to her being so good at what she does and her just being such a genuinely good actress. And like her character is so like genuinely good. It, it makes me uncomfortable every time somebody picks on her and makes me want to punch things. Blake what, do you, Blake, what do you got? Well, I think part of that, going back to this whole idea of propaganda and interviews as performance, Delin, if we were looking at this as just a straight reporting, I don't think Delin would have entered that entered into that interview knowing what was going to happen. And Jamis even called that out within his quote. You know, she thought this was going to be a legit thing, not a hatchet job of propaganda. So when you get that reaction, Jesse, of I didn't like it and it's how she was treated. If you look at this from a lens of propaganda, that's what they were going for. I mean, right. look at Nazi Germany, the way they portrayed people who were Jewish or gypsy or gay. And it's that same type of propaganda where you're othering and discrediting individuals. And that's that subversive piece that we're seeing in this, where they're actually actively trying to sell a narrative against these individuals and their influence. Well, and to that very point, Blake, Jakar calls it out. There are people in your culture that never again has special meaning. Mm -hmm. Emily, what do you got? So we know this is like propaganda, anti-V5 propaganda. One of the things that made me incredibly angry was when Dr. Franklin is basically trying to triage people and she is up in his face asking him questions. Like, do you really think your question is more important than these, the lives he is trying to save right now? Like, really, you want to be like that? And then it made me stop and think about when this was made and the style of reporting that was considered like hard-hitting journalism. And if you go back and watch interviews with some well-known journalists, what was called hard-hitting journalism was actually just straight cruelty and like being rude and abrasive and just trying to make people feel bad. And it was so reminiscent of some of that. But yeah, her getting his face when he's like, trying to triage people i was just like okay she needs she needs to go someone needs to shove her to the side and be like we are busy we'll talk to you later <laughs> yeah and it, it, it continues on doesn't it she gets in their faces they basically hack into this the computer's uh security cam because i'm assuming that ivanova didn't give him access and i'm sure garibaldi didn't give him access absolutely so they, they hacked into the outside cameras which by the way when we have the camera views and the security cams and everything again if you don't like the format i get it but i freaking enjoyed that a lot justin what do you got I just want to take a second to actually mention my favorite piece of propaganda probably in the entire show, the one that actually made me laugh, and that was the interview in the CNC with what, Corlin was his name? <laughs> I actually was, Where, I was expecting you to say something else, but please go ahead. Yeah, it's Corlin. Yeah, Corwin. Well, yeah, the Ivanova one was excellent as well because I wrote that big letters in my notes saying she said it wrong too. Mm -hmm. but, go, but, but going back to Corwin, just seems like, yeah, it's a great place to work. Nobody ever gets mad here. And you just see her kind of stand up a little <laughs> taller in the background. Like she's staring at him the entire time. And yeah. I went back and I watched that scene like three times, just laughing at it the entire time. I loved it. She might as well have had a gun to his head, right? Pretty much. Yeah. The perfect piece of propaganda in the entire yeah. episode. 
You have seen Corwin, by the way, throughout seasons one and season we, two. He's an yeah. extra who's been there a lot. And I'm so glad they're finally giving him lines because he's fun. He really is fun. <laughs> yeah, I hope he, uh, yeah. And uh, you always see him in the background or he has one or two lines in an episode, but I'm glad to see him get a lot more TV time. See, now, Justin. It kind of reminds me of Rob Stark from Game of Thrones. Oh, uh, I was like, okay. Hmm. He's going to get beheaded. It's, it's It's something in the face. I don't know. I can it's hard it. to explain. Spoilers for Game of Thrones. But what were you going to say, yes, Scott? there's a character named Rob, Scott, Rob Stark, yes. Spoilers. Oh, no, I said he, he gets beheaded. That's a spoiler. Oh, <laughs> oh you were saying part. something to me before he said that. <laughs> yeah, no, Justin, what I was going to say, the propaganda I thought you were going to bring up was the Sidecore commercial. Oh, yeah. And the fact that we oh, haven't yeah. talked I about the Sidecore commercial. I, let's talk about the Sidecore commercial for yeah. just a moment, please. <laughs> so gross. So Justin's rolling his sleeves up for this one. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. There he goes. Well, and, and the and the first thing and the first thing I thought when this whole click through and I saw the commercial, I'm like, oh, really? Are we doing this? And so I started watching it, and I started. He started talking about all oh, the kids make fun of me because I can read their thoughts, and I'm like, I'm like, he's a telepath, and I'm like, no. <laughs> and I just sit there, I'm like, oh no. And Paulina was like, she's like, what? And I'm like, no. Like watching a and train wreck, the, isn't it? Here it yeah, goes. that's like I saw this coming, and it's like, oh hi, I'm from Psychor. You're friendly, you know. Your friendly neighborhood telepath. <laughs> Hi, boys and girls. And it was just like, oh, <laughs> God, it was so terrible, man. I was so, yeah, I was, I was, infu- you know, I was infuriated just watching that. And I'm like, here we go. This is, you know, recruitment for the SS going on right here on your TV screen. JMS also pointed out, too, you know, and f- now for a word is referring to a sponsor. There's only one sponsor on this entire show, and it's the Sidecore. Read into that as you will. Jesse, yep. what do you got? Do we know what the message that they flashed in the commercial sure was? Sure do. We do. The Psycore is your friend. Trust okay. the core. Yeah, so basically they had to get a little bit of research into this because subliminal advertising is actually quite illegal under FCC. So the FCC considers a subliminal message to be two frames per second out of a standard of 24. So that blip was exactly four frames within the system. Okay, so you so can So it does see not it. count as subliminal. Mm-hmm. Because it was four frames, not two frames. But it did in France. In France, it was actually yes. still cut because in France, their rules are much more stricter. And so in, when this aired in France, they could not show the subliminal message, even though it was longer than a usual subliminal message. But yeah, trust the, uh, the side core is your friend. Trust the core. I didn't have the patience to go back and rewind it and try to like screen or, you know, um, frame by frame. So. Well, let's think when this was broadcast too, though, in the early 90s, Nobody caught this. I mean, at that point, you would have thought it was a blip in your television signal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this was kind of one of those long game, long game reveals of someday this will be on a digital high def format. Damn it! <laughs> so the other thing to mention, you mentioned Psychor was the only sponsor. They weren't the only sponsor. Oh yes, you're right. They're I'm the sorry. only commercial. You're correct. But there was the mention of this segment brought to you by Interplanetary Expeditions. Do y'all remember where this, that's from? Anybody? Yeah. Yes. I do not. They were, it was the infection. Yes, yeah. good job. The one funding Franklin's um, mm-hmm. mentor, friend, whatever. Oh, they were the company right. who sent the do- Yep, they were the company who sent the doctor to go find the Iconian or Ikiran, whatever it is, the the armor suit. Yes, that was the same company. You're right. Okay, I remember now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. Eduardo, it's a cameo. 
Yes. From the episode by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's so many references to past episodes in this episode, by the way. We had some budget issues a year ago. I'm like, oh, did you now? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I was asked a couple years ago by another Babylon 5 nerd, like, what episodes would you have somebody sit down and watch if they were brand new to B5? And of course, I, I said like the normal ones, like points of departure, actually the start of season two would be a decent way to start, things like that. But I also said, and now for a word, because you get so much of what this whole story is in this one episode. We learn, and again, we actually heard about this in previous episode in season one, no one thought this thing was going to survive. Lloyds of London had it 500 to one to make it past the first 12 months. And we heard that before actually. And it's just, it, you get so much little stuff about what's happening in the world. It, it, it really, to me, feels like kind of a, like a foundation building episode. Like, okay, here's where everything is right now before we move into the, the last third of season two. Here's where we're at right now with everything. Emily, what do you got? Okay, well, it's a bit of a topic change, but can we talk about how Kosh has a last name? Was I the only one who was like, wait, Kosh has a last name? <laughs> like, I don't remember hearing it before. We've heard that because, but and somebody asked in our chat, is that a spoiler? And it, uh, Justin, the other, the other Justin Scott, um, he said, he's like, no, there's uh he's like, it's not really a, yeah, anyway, we've talked about it. Sorry. Yep. The action figure from 1997 spoiled the Yeah, I just didn't episodes. know if it had been said in the show and I completely nope. missed it, but I was like, wait, they called him by a full name? Yep. That's the first time you've heard Kosh's full name. Yeah. Just, yep. Justin, what do you got? Well, first I want to say, Jesse, not all chubby bearded guys look alike. Well, I, no, I, say, but I have hair for one. I, I just open my mouth name. and words come out. I don't, you know, it is what it is. Like it's happening more. The older I get, the more it happens. You, we've heard some of those words before we started recording. No it's, it's shit. <laughs> Jesse, well, I've known you for the better part of two decades and I've never known you to have a filter. So I don't know what getting older has to do with this. I agree. <laughs> I, I knew Same. you at 21, ma'am. It hasn't changed. My boss says that all the time. He goes, fuck, does it just come in your head and it comes flying out of your mouth? He goes, you not even have a filter? I'm like, have you not worked with me for <laughs> multiple years? But anywho, this was a good episode for um, both uh, Londo and Jakar. I thought it it showed their, their differing uh, viewpoints and uh, conflict between the two of them very well. And they're different public personas as they're being interviewed Londo feeling like he's in the catbird seat and knows exactly how to play the human media cards and that's not really Jakar's wheelhouse exactly and uh, you know the the scene in the in the council chamber with everybody you know including you know Sheridan being involved in that it was a good scene you know in Deline on the non-aligned worlds but clearly the focus of that scene is uh Londo and Jakar more than anything else and I I I enjoy that scene for how much it furthers the conflict and shows you uh where the two of them are coming from Jesse I think part of the layout that I did like, and this is, I mean, you're, I agree with everybody. There was a ton of information and it wasn't like the worst I've seen. Um, But one of the parts of the layout I didn't like was that we didn't get to see what was going on when they were having their closed session. And I'm nosy as shit. Like, I want to know what you guys are talking about and we're not going to see it because it's closed. And from that point of view, we can't. 
Um, so usually in the show, we'll get to see those. And I guess that was just part of it that I was like, mm, I would much rather know what's going on inside. I actually like that, that the conceit was the entire episode mm-hmm. was if you were watching ISN. So that was, I I like that a lot. And yes, you're right. I mean, it's kind of frustrating because we're used to going inside and seeing everything, but Mm -hmm. I love the conceit that it's all ISN and this is what people on earth, Mars and everywhere else are seeing. Emily, what do you got? Well, since Kevin brought up Londo, yeah, I was really angry at Londo with during this episode and I'm actually kind of sad John isn't here to get his take on it but my two comments about Londo were one speaking like a professional colonizer I'm like oh they didn't have anything and we did all this for them with our tech and stuff and I was just like gross dude really and the second one was Londo continuing to make the shittiest choice <laughs> like it's just so frustrating to watch him continually get worse and worse so I, I'm worried about him. Justin, you, you said the C word. <laughs> what did I say? Colonizer. You're going to piss all our family. Oh. <laughs> no, no, it was problematic <laughs> that they got pissed <laughs> off. Yes. Co- colonization definitely is problematic. <laughs> oh, it is super problematic. There <laughs> we having, go. Now we've got the words. Take out your woke, take out your woke bingo cards and start. Right. <laughs> Here we go, kids. We've got <laughs> propaganda, colonization, and problematic. Enjoy. Scott, on the bingo card is woke the free space in the middle. Yes, it yes. is. Oh, yeah, so definitely. Perfect. It's a big picture of JMS, you know, just his face <laughs> in the center of it. <laughs> Emily, oh, I'll make that game now so bad. Yeah. Emily, did you have something? You uh, hand up. It was just, I'm just continually disappointed with Hondo as we get more into season two. Okay. Justin, go ahead. One thing I was going to say was the... My favorite interview is probably Kosh's, my homeboy Kosh, <laughs> where they go in there, they get their access, they're in, they go in there and they're like, oh, we finally see him, Kosh. And he's just like, nope, slams the door shut. <laughs> and I'm like, that's my guy. Love him. Emily. Uh, we learned about men, uh, the three Minbari languages and we actually got to hear Dylan speak in her native language or, yeah. Did she talk about Chester as well? Chester's a sad boy or whatever it was last week. Quick story with this episode. There's that scene where Sheridan has to do kind of a speech in CNC. And I guess it took them 27 takes to do that all the way through. While they had a couple of problems with uh, lighting cameras. They had a couple of problems with sound, like a aircraft flying over, but I think Boxleitner, he he said, I hadn't done a series since 1987, so um, I just was having trouble with that, that particular scene for whatever reason, and I kept freezing up and forgetting the lines in the middle of it, and he's like, I had to go up, get up and take a walk. Uh, in the middle of it after like, you know, eight or nine takes because it was so awful and he had to come back and he's like, it was literally the worst day on set I ever had. But what's cool about it is you'd never know watching it, that it was, that it was bad or anything like that. But uh, I thought that was an interesting story from him that it was, it was his worst day on set. And yet it came out, it came, it came out fine in the end. Justin. Just one last observation I have about the episode is the last part when they're going through asking everybody, was it worth it? The one that stuck out the most to me was Jakar is evidently losing faith, I think. 
And I hope that doesn't, I hope that, I hope he regains it at some point. But when he said, you know, when they said, well, do you think Babylon 5 is worth it? And said, I used to, I don't know anymore. So that just kind of struck out at me. And I did enjoy, you know, Sheridan's speech at the end, of course, as well. Let's go ahead and move into questions and predictions. And for those of you who just joined us, our newbies have not watched past and now for a word. So we're going to ask for the, any lingering questions they may have, as well as any predictions they may have as we move forward into the last third of season two. Emily, questions, predictions. Um, I really just have one, and it's about uh, B5's function and if it's going to change since it was strategic and necessary in Gropos, but now they're doing, they're trying to put out propaganda saying we don't need B5 or it's not worth it or it costs too much or it's just, you know, we're not focusing on our own stuff and how that's going to work since the Narn and Centauri are at war again. Any predictions? Nope. Andrew, questions, predictions? Um, Just one question. Uh, will there be other episodes untraditionally structured like this one was? And no predictions? Nope. Just one question. The answer is 42. Justin, questions, predictions? I don't have any major predictions based off of this particular episode, but a couple questions that I'm kind of curious to see the answers of are, one, will there be an attempt by EarthGov to legitimately actively shut down the station? And what's the response from the crew going to be with that? And then two... Will they end up having to use those fancy new defense grip guns anytime soon? Jesse, questions, predictions? Nope. Cool. This is going to be a great Beyond the Rim, guys. I'm looking forward to it so much. Okay, <laughs> so that will end it for our newbies. And I'm sorry, Dr. Franklin, we are going to throw them out the airlock now. We'll go to credits. And then when we come back, Blake, Kevin, and I will answer these somewhat numerous questions and no predictions that our newbies have for us this week. So until next week when we discuss In the Shadow of Zaha Doom, I've been Scott and with me has been Emily, Blake, Andrew, Justin, Bessie, and Kevin. And remember to click all the buttons. Click them all. Enjoy. See you next week. Cool Bye. Guys. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The Rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back, and again, if you have not watched past and now for a word, you should leave now because we're going to be doing spoilers about what happens after this episode. So let's dive into the questions here, folks. And there wasn't many, and actually, I'm honestly surprised our guys didn't have as much to talk about with this episode. Maybe I just like it too much. I don't know. But is B5's function going to change 
And why is Earth now saying that we don't need B5? So I think the big part here is, and it happened when Clark took office, right? He said, we need to focus on Earth first. And Babylon 5 is funded by multiple governments. It's the seat of the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. You've got this Babylon 5 council, which, and this is where I think, and I had to stop myself during the episode, because the B5 council has say over probably the most important strategic asset out there, which is Epsilon 3, right? The great machine. And that's the one thing uh, the senator did not mention when he was talking about Babylon 5. You notice no one mentioned the great machine on Epsilon 3. They ain't telling people about that. Earth does not want to give that up as a strategic post. They don't want to deal with the alien diplomatic stuff. They don't want to deal with the Mimbari, the Centauri, the Narn. They want to control that as an Earth sector. So I think what they want is to end the diplomatic function of B5, but I think they definitely want to keep it as a military installation, which, you know, spoiler, we'll see that come season three when Earth already had, when the other colonies start breaking away. Earth already has a fleet en route to Babylon 5 to seize control of that as a military installation loyal to Clark. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually goes into another point. I know Emily didn't mean it this way, but B5's function is absolutely going to change because it's going to be a rallying point, not only for those who are pro-Earth and not Earth Force and Earth Alliance, but also a rallying point for the galaxy when we get into the Shadow War. So yeah, B5's function is absolutely going to change. Uh, part of that is because Earth's going to force its hand, but also because of the strategic point that B5 has for the entire galaxy. So yes, the answer is yes. I feel like this is the first episode where they so overtly talk about the uh, you know changes and the um, methods that Clark is going to use to start taking more control you know and changing things and using the levers of of government uh both legitimate and illegitimate to um start changing hearts and minds and uh make make the more uh dictatorial changes that are coming um i don't i don't think they really get into that much before now and certainly the next episode is going to be a lot about that when they unveil the the night watch uh so i'm looking forward to hearing the newbies talk about that next week but when you, the two of you reference how b5 is going to change and and again emily certainly didn't necessarily mean it this way but you know it's such a fundamental change between now and uh, and next season that uh, I think they're going to be extremely interested in how how that all changes. Yep. Moving right along, we get asked, will there be other episodes untraditionally structured? And uh, I'm very proud of both of you for not spilling the beans that this is not the only ISN episode. Very proud of you. But obviously, we've got some ISN episodes coming up down the road that are going to do mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. the same thing. Although... I really enjoy the next one where we get to see what real propaganda looks like when they actually start mm. making edits to the interviews to make it sound like they want to sound. So we, we already are seeing that ISN is not what journalists should be right now, but we now get to, we, this is our baseline. I can't wait to see what happens when ISN becomes a real true puppet of the government mm-hmm. and what we see there. 
Yeah, I mean, there's going to be so many changes with with ISN, and you know, it's pretty clear that not everybody at at ISN, you know, feels the same way. And they even reference that when ISN right before ISN gets taken over in the the Clark purge, and uh, I don't know whether that's shattered dreams or um, uh, point of no return, but um, it's a it's a, a seminal moment that you you see that Clark has been interfering with the honest reporting of the news for quite some time. And that's very well laid out by that episode that the producer or whomever news director talks about it to the point where the, the reporters like, Hey, don't do that. Don't do that on air. And he's like, well, what does it matter now? They're coming in the door. Mm -hmm. I can't, Go ahead, Blake. I was going to say, because we talked about that, you know, there's going to be this other ISN episode. I think it was, was it Yum Yum that commented? Because I think they're ahead of us. So they're about that point. Yeah, because I actually, uh, I joined them on the conversation about that episode because I so love that reporter woman who also is a reporter in West Wing. How stupid do they have to be? Because, you know, this time, okay, they're still under Earth. They're ordered to let the reporters on. And they saw how it went. Right. They've broken away from Earth, and it's, oh, yeah, let's let the press back on. This will go great for yeah. us yeah. that second time, you know. Yeah, I, but I as far as untraditional episodes, we also have the uh, season four ender that was put in place to not be the yes. season mm-hmm. finale. So I'm, I can't wait till they see that one, because that's kind of another non-traditional format. But you mentioned West Wing. You know, you, we look at this uh, format of an episode that's more or less a reported section. West Wing also had that episode, remember, that was more of a... A documentary for uh, reporter lens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which, There's by the also way, it's not a really light West Wing episode, from what I understand. But yeah. There's also that episode that you referred to that the name is escaping me, Scott, and I'm sure you'll know it. Um, where they look ahead, you know, fifty or a hundred years. Yeah, that's the one Blake just mentioned. Deconstruction of falling stars. Deconstruction of falling stars. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be pedantic. No. Um, where uh yeah, that's another very uh, untraditional structure that I I agree, Blake. I think they'll they'll really like. I'm on record a couple of places saying that deconstruction of falling stars is one of my favorite episodes mm-hmm. of B five. I know I'm in the minority. A lot of people, uh, I wouldn't say they dog on the episode, but a lot of people aren't big fans of it. But it is seriously one of my favorite episodes of B five. I'm looking forward to the mm-hmm. end of season four when we get there. Um, we'll have to be very careful to not get too meta with that episode when it shows up. I don't want the, I want the newbies not to understand why we got deconstruction. So we'll, we'll have this conversation again in several months uh, about how let's not tell them why we yeah. didn't get uh, the season finale. We were supposed to get in season four. So let's keep going here. The next piece is, will there be an attempt to shut down the station? And Blake, you already alluded to it. Uh, when, some of the colonies start breaking away uh earth goes to take b5 mm-hmm. so it wasn't so much shut down exactly as completely change around yeah. the the command structure and take out anyone cur- on the current crew and make it their own thing but yeah. who knows what their eventual plan was for it they could have easily been like all right all you aliens get the hell out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i, I, I think base. firmly had they gone through it would have become a military installation it would have went under military command of Clark. They would have expelled the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. They would have expelled the ambassadors. And then Draw would have, you know, flipped a bitch fit. Yeah. So would would Kosh. So that'd be fun. Yeah. 
I wouldn't doubt either if it, it not only a military base, I could see it as a stronghold for Psychor. Sure. Uh, so they can, you know, have a nice little base for Black Omega and all that good stuff. Last one. Will they have to use those guns again? Yes. A little bit. Oh, yeah. Yes, they will. I have a question. Was this the first time that they so overtly laid out the power structure between the Minbari, the the Centauri, Earth, and the Vorlons as overtly as they did in this episode? Because I thought it was striking, you know, and of course I knew this having seen the series, but I thought it was striking in a, in a good piece of information for everybody that Sheridan basically said, Earth cannot hang with any of those three. And so it also in turn tells everybody the Narn can't hang with the Centauri either. If, if you, if you focus on it. Yeah. And I kind of alluded to that. And I think that's okay. You, the word you use there is correct. And that's overtly because everything you get in this episode, we have seen, and you know, the three of us plus Mike have talked about this quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Narn were never going to be able to hold up against the Centauri. And now Jakar tells us exactly why. They had the only reason why they were able to push the Centauri off their planet was they used their own equipment against them. Mm-hmm. So, the, yes, the Narn have absolutely advanced a lot in a hundred years, but they're still nowhere near the big dog in town. They just have the you know a strong military, and we've saw the Vorlons just make mincemeat of Deathwalker. Mm-hmm. And they alluded to the gathering in this episode too, where we almost had an all-out firefight with the Vorlons when Kosh was about to die. So I think this is why, again, I mentioned that this is an episode where I truly think you could sit somebody down who's never watched B5 and say, here, here's what it is, because it gives you so much and lays out the universe for, for, universe for you. I didn't use this term because I didn't want to allude too much with the newbies, but this is kind of a reset episode for me. I feel like... This is where we start going into the final stretches of season two, which is obviously moving into the shadow war mm-hmm. and start preparing for that. And this is kind of JMS. And actually, I think he alluded to in the use nets. This is one where JMS is really just kind of clearing the board and telling everybody exactly where everyone is, where everything is. The Narn are losing the fight. Centauri are going to win. Blah, 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 blah. Earth is going the way of you know, Germany and so forth and so on. And here you are. So we can start going into the end game of season two. Is mm-hmm. this an episode? Do you think that, you know, PTN wanted him to do, you know, whereas he, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of reintroduces things and make, makes it a, an episode like that because they were mm-hmm. having, you know, the syndication, uh, you know, challenges that they were having. Um, but it, it, you know, it's not my favorite episode, but I agree with Blake that every time I've seen it, I, I have a little bit deeper appreciation for it, even though it isn't going to be my favorite. But so uh, he ahead, wrote please. this episode intentionally. I mean, this was what he wanted. In fact, he was a little worried the studio would reject it, if I'm not mistaken, from his right. Usenet comments. In fact, he when he submitted it to them, he flat out said he was not taking his writer's fee until it was approved and ready to shoot because he didn't know if they were going to approve it because. This was basically designed to be a subversive message. He, I mentioned that very intentionally, you know, he designed this for a reason to be a subversive look at B5 through a propagandist lens. And he was concerned because it it kind of took a swing at media that in the early nineties, when you had some of the questionable journalism of, you know, you had Geraldo Rivera, you had some of these other journalists that in that mid nineties were starting some of that trajectory 
towards the media practices that we're seeing now. And, you know, I drew that parallel to this, I think, probably out of the entire series. There's so much in B5 that still resonates now. Mm -hmm. This episode for me is probably the one that resonates the most. Yeah. um, Because of the way you see media operating within what is still at this point a legitimate government structure. I mean, yes, Clark took over through the question, but it's still EarthGov, right? He's not pretty much just, he's not dissolved the Senate yet. He's not declared himself dictator. You see ISN as a media network being used as a propagandist tool. And, you know, I'm going to flat out call the, call the play here of Kevin McCarthy, a Speaker of the House in 2023 right now, released the January 6th footage to one media outlet and one, one reporter only, yes, one right. person. Right. And it was on Fox News with Tucker Carlson. And we saw exactly what he did. They were yeah. there on vacation. It was a tour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, as far as like this to me, this episode hits so close to home and is so relevant yeah. to 2023. You know, it, yeah. and that quote goes back to JMS saying when some of the people who said they were fans of the show is, God damn, it was not an instruction manual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm as somebody who's a big nerd about behind the scenes stuff, I do want to read what JMS said to this point that you guys were just bringing about with uh, the, the studio. So he said back in the day, speaking of which on Monday, I turned in a script called and now for a word, it's probably the most unusual episode of the day. So much so that I was very concerned about Warner's approving it. And, and, uh, and uh, indicated in my letter, which explained why it was done, why it should be produced, that I wouldn't be putting in for a script payment until I knew they would accept it and let me um, let us make it. Finally heard back today that they've approved it. This will be shot episode 214. And what you've just read is all I intend to say about this script between now and shortly before it airs in May. Though, when we cast the guest star, which, uh, which we're in the process of selecting now that I'll be able to announce. It's not controversial per se, but does take our entire show and put it on its head for the entire hour. I also had to make sure we could physically produce the the damned, uh, the darn thing prior to turning in the script. No speculation, please. Just let it be what it is and see it cold. I, and he also then pointed out, by the way, if you have a VCR, you should videotape this one to Blake's point about the subliminal messages. <laughs> so I, I, by the way, this was 1995, so, or in fact, maybe late 1994. It has been 29 years, and this man is still doing the same stuff on Twitter <laughs> that he did on Usenet. He knows how to tap into the internet uh, and the power of that internet, and he was one of the first ones to do it, and he's still really good at it. So I just love how we have this record of what was said and done 30 years ago to help back this up. Anything else you guys want to talk about with And Now for a Word? I think we've beat this one. Cool. Well, again, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Please be sure to click the like, subscribe, follow, whatever button is in front of you, click it. And then also be sure to check out our social medias. We have a lot of good conversations going on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're about to cross the 1,000 mark on our Facebook page, and we're well past that on our Twitter page. So go check it out. And if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, we are releasing interviews and other shows like kevin's last of us reviews with john and justin and also we're reviewing picard season three blake myself and emily and there's also some other stuff we're throwing out there too only on youtube so if you're listening to the audio podcast go check out youtube as well and vice versa if you're on the youtube account we do have a podcast over at our links which are down 
I will plug our latest interview just to check out. If you're interested in a discussion of new Trek versus old Trek and all things Star Trek, make sure to check out our latest guest interview uh, with Sean Farrick from Trek Culture. We kind of go in-depth into some of the comparisons, especially the people that say, this isn't my Star Trek. You know, we have a good discussion about that. So make sure to go check that out because it really gets into all artists' objective, which applies to Star Trek, Babylon 5, anything you're watching. So go check that out. And for those of you who continue to say in the comments, and I know who you are, why do you guys talk about Trek? What about the Babylon 5 stuff? I have two, yes, two interviews in the hopper right now that are specifically the Babylon 5. And that information will be coming later. So subscribe, 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 subscribe. So until next week, I've been Scott. And with me has been... Blake. And Kevin. And we will see you in the shadow of Zaha Doom. Have a nice night. We're everywhere. For your convenience.